This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. So when we did the, um, when I did the um, little blurb for the newsletter, I didn't mention Reverend Kelly because that was not part <laughs> of the plan at that point. So today's about change and this actually came about over coffee on Friday or Thursday? Thursday, so, yes. Thursday. If you go to coffee with Jane, <laughs> I encourage you to be very careful because <laughs> you don't know what might happen the next couple of days. <laughs> so change is something that happens, like a lot of us have had change in response to something that happens to us and it's usually some kind of loss, right? Something gets yanked away through death, we get fired, you know, the house burns down, and somebody divorces us. Th these kind of things we're all familiar with, we've had that, and so then we have to respond, we have to change, because things are not the way they were. And that's the way, I mean, that's a way to change, and sometimes we're going to stand there and we're not going to change until something like that happens. Um, so that's one option, but there are other ways, and the other ways are to pay attention to our discontent, things that just, it's not sitting well with us the way it was before, and we could pay attention to that. Or maybe there's desire, there's, it's just like, like we're kind of window shopping in life and we, we see these things and we want them. And then the other way is just a nudge. We experience this nudge and I think that's what happened with you and I when we were talking and just the way the conversation was going, <laughs> I just felt this nudge for me that, oh, I should invite him to speak with me about this. And, and so then I turned around and nudged you. <laughs> and he was gracious enough to say, yes. <laughs> Jane is very persuasive. And she's very gentle, she's very compassionate, she's very manipulative. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. But what Jane does wonderfully is help see help us see in ourselves what she and others around us see, but we often fail to see. And sometimes part of that change is hearing those nudges, is receiving them. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys or you, but often that nudge might start with a little tap on my shoulder or a little feather. And if I ignore it long enough, it usually ends up being a two before upside the head, some way or another. But often we can find ourselves in sort of very just mediocre, it's okay, you know, do I really want to make the effort to change? We might find ourselves in a relationship like this or a job like this. Now, Kevin, thank you very much for what you said about hospice. I work with a wonderful, amazing people. Anybody that can show up and just and help people transition. And we don't use the word death because we don't believe there's a death. I don't believe there's a death. It's just a transition, a transformation. It's a change. But sometimes when we find ourselves we are so resistant. And sometimes even as people prepare to cross over, they are highly resistant. They've not done their stuff. They've not, they've really avoided the change that they knew was coming. 
and it's really hard on them, and it's really hard on their families. Because they end up in the state that we call terminal agitation. And just as we see a lot of people identifying those spiritual beings and their ancestors in the room that we can't see, and often reaching towards them, people who aren't ready to go will be pushing those away. We watch their face for anxiety, their eyebrows and their forehead for crinkling. We look for nonverbal cues of what's going on, an external indication of the internal process. So if you're over 35 or 40 years old, you're dying. I'm sorry to tell you this, but biologically speaking, that's when our bodies start to decline. And if I've learned one thing in hospice, it's be ready. Now, sometimes the challenge for people is how do we navigate this? You know, Viktor Frankl, and a lot of you guys may know Dr. Frankl, he was an Austrian psychologist, and he really started following up on Freud's work, and his life got interrupted by being placed in a Nazi internment camp. And it was in this camp he realized, and he continued his work in practice, and not just in writing or in theory, but he realized that people needed meaning and purpose. Now, one of his criticisms of Freud was Freud's thesis that we are controlled or highly motivated by the pursuit of pleasure. Frankl theorized it was really the meaning of purpose. I mean, purpose and meaning is what we really need. And that's one of the things we see in hospice is because when people get to that point where they just can't do what they used to do, they often somehow or another share some lament, some complaint that I really sum up as, how do I live while I'm dying? Because they're still here, they haven't crossed over yet. And it's this absence of meaning and purpose. And what Frankl wrote in his book, Humans, Search for Meaning, is that one of the biggest distractions to meaningfulness is the pursuit of pleasure, that we distract ourselves from pleasure. And unfortunately, man, we live in an age where we can distract ourselves so easily, and we miss the nudges. We miss the taps on the shoulder. We might miss that friend saying, hey, we didn't plan for this, but come do this. It's so easy to do. I, I think we get distracted not only by pleasure, but just by all the things that are going on. Like, like this morning, for example, I just had this feeling that Anna was gonna be here, but I was busy doing other things. and. And I almost brought that extra rose, but I thought, oh, she'll tell me if she's gonna change her mind. And, and she didn't, <laughs> or if she did, I can't say that I checked my messages because you know, I'm not busy on my phone in the morning. And so that was just, I mean, that's just a minor example. You know, this is, this is not critical if Anna didn't get a rose and, and I ignored that nudge, but it would have been so much sweeter if I had listened. And so nudges happen on that level. And if we practice listening to them when there isn't so much of a, so much at stake, 
then we get more and more adept at being in the flow. And you can practice this. You can practice it with, you know, like just deciding what route you're going to take. You know, maybe you're going to avoid an accident on the one that you didn't take, and maybe you're not, but you're practicing getting out of a rigid groove because rigidity is sort of like being dead, right? <laughs> you know? And, and we, get, we get content with the way things are and we don't want to change it. We're in a groove, but we're not living. And it's okay for a little while. I mean, everybody needs a rest. We all go to bed and we, we sleep for a while and maybe we're active in the dream state, but physically we're not doing anything then. And that's okay, but we can't stay in bed forever. At some point, we have to get up and be moving again. And so the same is true in terms of our lives. When, when we have something that is getting stale, we need to take a step, do something else. And, you know, I just want to point out with, like, Kelly is so eloquent with what he said already. And I want you to know that we didn't prepare this. Now, you've come to expect that from me. <laughs> if you're <laughs> but what you don't know is that I do that to other people too. <laughs> and so I didn't say, you know, you talk about these things and I'll talk about these things. We, we had a one-minute conversation this morning, and he said, well, I've got this quote, and that's what he walked in here with. <laughs> and I, I actually had a note card with some ideas, and some of them may come out, and, but we didn't plan it because we're both trusting that there's something bigger that is moving through us, and it will be here. And I, I don't know if that's how you did talks before, because he was a Methodist minister, and so this is not the first time he's getting up on stage, but it's been a while. It has, and there was a combination of preparation, but also release, which is really the hard part. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I hated to do that you guys do so well is like give a title and a topic to my message, because come Sunday morning, it might be something very different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's in that freedom and that flexibility if we can get out of some of our rigidness and some of our ruts and our tracks it's where we can really fully move into being you know, our wonderful selves and what we came to the planet to do and being aligned with our desires now again Kevin thank you for your comments on working as a hospice chaplain but the fact that people are aided in this is a side effect of the primary reason. I do this because it's aligned with me right now. And if it wasn't aligned with me right now, I couldn't, nor should I, be doing it. But it's in this alignment and me receiving the joy from what I do, it spills over to others. And I think we often miss that because we're so heavy 
the expectations we often find ourselves from our supervisor or our bosses or our loved ones or somebody around us and the expectation to be what we've always been. It's pretty big. And sometimes making those changes might be met with resistance. Sometimes we hear that little small voice deep, deep, deep inside of us. But then it's like, oh, no, I can't do that. And that's what I did with, with ministry and public speaking. I was born premature and had a speech impediment. And the scariest thing in the world I could do was speak in public. So I ran from it for about eight years. But sometimes that greatest weakness tends to be <laughs> our greatest strength. So you ran from it after you were a Methodist minister? Both. Both. I, I ran from this call, what we would say in the church, a call to ministry mm-hmm. for about eight years. <clears throat> and then when my spiritual deconstruction began, then I ran from the church and, and all of that. Because I learned a lot of things that had been taught was inaccurate. A lot of things that I had taught was inaccurate. They weren't true. And then what have I done to hinder or hamper the spiritual growth of others? And so the fact that I would re-engage with unity and Reverend Jane you know, a year ago invited me to speak. That's a big deal. And I thank you for that. funny way when something is calling you you can ignore it but only for a while that story in the bible about Jonah and the whale Jonah ended up in the whale in the story because he was running away from a call the call that he was getting was go to preach to these people in Nineveh that he didn't want to preach to those people He didn't think they deserved to hear that message. And so he didn't want to do it. And he got on a boat to head the other way. And so then the storms start coming up and finally the people on deck realize that, oh, we've got somebody on board who's a pariah. Let's throw him overboard and our problems will be over. So that's what they did. Now. This is a made-up story. This is, you know, just in case you're hanging on a God that, that would do this to somebody, it, it's made up. But it's, it's a story about a call. And what happens that you get into a fish was an Aramaic s- expression, like, oh, we're in a big kettle of fish. You've, we've used that expression. It means you get yourself into trouble when you go in a direction that is opposite of where you're being called. So when Kelly's talking about that call that is continuing to work on him, he's paying attention. And, and part of what I'm passionate about is, especially when I, when I hear somebody has a call to leadership, I want to nudge or boot or whatever I need to do because I just have this belief that if we aren't all stepping into the leadership that we came here to be, and it looks different for everybody, 
Like right now, Maddie was talking about in her introduction that she's passionate about being the best mother she can be. So that may not look like leadership to anybody, but to those two little girls, that's important leadership. It's very important. It's critical in forming the people that they will grow to be. And so everybody has a way that we are called. And, and I want to support that. And I want a community where there isn't just one leader because I believe that that is impossible. It's too big of a burden for one person to start out with. And it is ignoring the talent that is out here. And so, have coffee with me at your peril. <laughs> <laughs> if need be, but you don't have to kick and scream. <laughs> you could just come along. <laughs> love about that Jonah story, just to riff on it for a moment, is the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he really didn't like those folks. And God wanted him to show up and show them some love. And we see that same theme like in, in the Christian scriptures where these religious leaders keep coming up to Jesus or Yeshua, as I like to say, and they ask him, teacher, rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then on one occasion, this religious and legal scholar tried to trap Jesus and said, well, who's my neighbor? And really, after 2,000 years of study, what we know he's asking was, who don't I have to love? Who's in this circle and who's out? And these nudges, no matter what they are, they have no, 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 no greater or lesser importance it's about you being the, the, the soul you came to be on this planet. But they usually do show, include showing up and just being love and light. It's that simple. And it's that hard. I think part of this, too, is remembering who we are. It's so easy. And one of the reasons we don't change is because we have all those excuses like, oh, I'm too old, or I'm not good enough at that. People wouldn't like what I'm doing. It's going to be too hard. We have all these excuses, and those come from an ego perspective. They're, they're us telling ourselves that we're the small, but we're not. That's not who we are. That's appearances. It's not truth. Who we are is the I am, the creative force that is flowing in every moment into expression. Maybe, maybe it all came with the big bang, boom, now it's in form. And maybe there was more, maybe there were more big bangs. It would not be the first time that somebody stood up and said, this is how it works scientifically. This is the story, the earth is flat. And everybody nodded, yep, 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 yep. And then we go along a few centuries and realize, oh, no, actually it's not. 
So I don't know what is scientifically true. What I know spiritually is that that force never stops expressing. And the unity's second principle is that we are that force in expression. So each one of you is here expressing the, the creative allness. And there is always more for you. It doesn't stop ever. It stops in physical form when you die, and then you move into a new form. I was talking to Jen yesterday, she's a scientist, and she's been studying all these near-death ex experience expressions, and, and, and there's so many that are out there, people talking about what it's like on the other side. So we know it doesn't stop. It will never stop. And if we step into our knowing of who we are, this great creative force, then we get out of that littleness that says, I can't. And we get into the bigness that can, must, will. We have to know that we're not alone. We have a whole tribe of people here. I, I am not the only one willing to do some nudging. <laughs> if you chat with others, if you get in a spirit group and you divulge this secret longing, I am willing to put money on it that there are other people who are gonna And if you, don't if you don't divulge it, I sort of say indulge it, but that's what you really do need to do. If you don't divulge it, your heart gives you away to yourself. As it is often, we know when we're in alignment and know when we're out. But we're often really good at distracting in many different ways. It's easy to do. But you know. And it's not only you, you've got Source, and you've got a whole team of spirit guides. And I think for all of us, they are like cheering us on and nudging us so much more than we ever really know. Ever really know. So you're not alone in this. Yeah. And I think you, you may or may not have experienced that presence of these guides. They're there. And if you haven't experienced it, Pretend they're there. <laughs> Pretend that they're there. And, and ask yourself, well, if they were there, what would they be telling me to do? If they were there, how would they be helping me? And how would I be moving? And then do that. Because as, you know, it's the fake it till you make it idea, but it actually works. It does. It works. And, and you can't afford to waste this one precious life you're given. Don't be afraid of changing. Think about, you know, what is at the core of you and hold true to that. When we talk about this meeting that we're gonna have, the town hall meeting, as a community, we're really committed 
to continuing to listen to spirit and where are we moving toward? And so we're asking questions on the board, like, are we getting stale any place? Is, is there something that, are there people that are being excluded by the format we have now? Do we need to change things up? Do we need to add something? And we're doing that because we're not afraid of change. We've changed a lot of things in our service over the years, and what it creates is a living organism. Mm -hmm. And people are attracted to what is alive. And so we're, we grow because when you walk in the door, you can feel there is life here. And so we have to keep doing that. We, we can't get to the point where we we'll say, yeah, this is pretty good. All right, we're, we're done. Because then we're dead. So we're not changing just for the sake of change. We're, we're changing as needed because we're listening and because we believe that the creative force is always in motion. And the creative force doesn't just speak to me or to the board. The creative force is expressing as all of you. So be listening and sharing. You know, don't keep it to yourself and then someday say, oh, you know, I always thought blah, 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 but I never said it, because that doesn't help anybody. You know, and it, you don't have to be here for 20 years to have a voice. You could have walked in the door today for the first time and see with new eyes and have an impression that you would gift the rest of us with if you shared it. Change happens because we are daring as a community. It's interesting, in unity worldwide right now, there is a big conversation going on about who are we? What are we here to be? And there are some who say, we are Christian. We're Christians expressing in a particular way. And we, we are true to our founders who said this and thought this and did this and wrote that. And that's what they want. But, but that's, that's static. That's saying this is how it was. And at the time, it was a great thing. The founders brought in a bridge between traditional Christianity and a new possibility. And so people could come in and they, they could still be Christians and they could start looking at the Bible in a non-literal way. And that was life-changing for them. And they, and they brought in the whole idea of healing, that, that our circumstances are not life sentences. We can, we can change it all. So those were wonderful things that the founders brought in. And just like Jesus, they were not intending to be icons. Jesus never said, worship me, here, let me pose so you can make a statue. No, Jesus was all about, hey, it's in here, the kingdom of heaven is in here, listen to it. Bring out the love that's in here, bring it out into the world. He had no interest in being worshiped. And so when we get into religions that are constructed around worshiping Jesus, we're missing the point. So 
what we need, I think, is to take what's the essence of that. The essence of that is that the founders of unity created a bridge. So what's the bridge that is needed today? What's the bridge between what we know and what people that don't, haven't heard of unity are aching for? How can we reach out? Who, who is not getting to hear these messages because they feel excluded? How can we embrace them? These, to me, are the important questions. And the creative force that is within us is going to show us the answers if we listen, and we listen as a group. I don't know. What do you think? Is that a wrap? I think it is. I think I'm done. All right. Let's have some meditation. <laughs> <laughs>